All right, lesson number two on the Revelation. This is called Daniel's 70 Weeks, the hub of Bible prophecy. This, this teaching right here is so critical to understanding what the Revelation is all about and understanding how God has worked and is working. I was explaining to my wife as I've been studying this in greater depth than I ever have that when you study Daniel and the Revelation and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and you start to look at all these scriptures and you see God's big master plan and you see how God does these things, you realize the church is really just a blip in, in biblical prophecy. It was, it's a mystery. The church age that has now been going on for 2,000 years was a mystery hidden from all of those folks. They would even prophesy about it, not even know what they were saying. Even the apostles, the day the Lord ascended, still didn't get the church age, which had already begun. They were in, had begun the, in the beginning days of the church there in Acts chapter 1. Didn't even realize that the church had begun because it was still a mystery. What Daniel's 70 week talks about are the times appointed unto Israel and God's dealings with Israel and the world. Understand that because God is not a man that he should lie, God has to do everything that he's committed himself to do. He, God can't do anything, right? He can't lie. He can't break his own word. So I understand God can do anything, but he can't do everything. And so all of this comes about because God made a promise to one man named Abraham, and he's going to keep it. Even Hebrew says because he could swear by no greater name, he swore by himself that he would make of Abraham a mighty nation and bless the offspring, sands of the sea, which is speaking of natural offspring and stars of the sky, which is supernatural or born again ones, us, grafted in. Daniel's 70 week explains all this, how that the church age was inserted into 70 weeks of Jewish time. And when the church came, everything was put on hold. And there's a last seven years of time that has to be fulfilled. And that is what is known as the tribulation. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah somebody's shaking their head already going, ooh. All right, we have a whole lesson to cover this. And some of it will be repeated over and over again uh, to cover this. You can understand why some of the great eschatologists studied this stuff for 30 and 40 and 50 years and wrote copious amounts of books and material on it just to explain it. So let's jump into this. And we'll pray that the Lord gives us insight and understanding. He wants us to understand this. That's what he says in Revelation 1. Write this so that my servants may know what must come to pass. He didn't write it to make it mysterious. He wrote it to reveal it. If he didn't want it revealed, he'd have never spoken to John about it. Amen. A bulk of the Revelation deals with the events of Daniel's 70th week. Therefore, it is critical we have a working understanding of this biblical dispensation. Almost all Bible prophecy revolves around the Jewish people and Jerusalem. We need to understand that. Now, we are not Messianic Jews. We're not converted Jews. All of us here are Gentiles. There might be a couple folks here with a little bit of Jewish blood in you, but we are not Jews. We are born-again ones. Amen. But you have to understand everything came through Abraham. And a Jew is only a Jew because God made a promise to a man named Abraham. In fact, the Jews were called Jews after the captivity because of Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. When they returned, they were called Jews then. Before that, they were called Israelites, 12 tribes, really 14, but only 12 were ever counted. Jews came from Judah, the term Jew, and all the promises go back to one man, Abraham, whose blessings come upon us through Jesus Christ. 
but we're not Jews. We're not converted Jews. Not we converted Jews. We're not transformer Jews. We're born again ones, of all sorts of different bloodlines and lineages and nationalities. Hooray! Praise God! We're going to heaven. But the Bible says of the Jews to whom pertaineth the adoption. This is Romans nine. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. It all goes back to God keeping his word to a man named Abraham, a Gentile, a total pagan who worshiped the moon god. The Lord told him, if you'll keep my promises, if you'll walk with me, I'll make of you a great nation. May all the nations of the world be blessed. We are part of the Gentile age and have merely been inserted into the timeline of Bible prophecy. And that's what Daniel's 70 weeks is all about, is the timeline of Bible prophecy. We as Gentiles, the born-again ones, we have obtained salvation through Jesus Christ only because the Jews rejected him. All right, this is all basic doctrine. We understand this. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that God would speak to an Israelite about the end of time and show that Israelite how things will unfold such is the case with the prophet Daniel. Prophet Daniel was a slave in Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. This is a prophecy Habakkuk saw coming. Habakkuk in his, his prophecy complained about the perversion of Israel. He said, Lord, how long will you tolerate this perversion? The Lord says, I'm raising up the Babylonians who care nothing about kings or rulers and mock them, whose horses are swifter than leopards and they stomp nations under their feet. They'll take the, your people into captivity. And I'm sure Habakkuk was like, um, I didn't mean to complain that bad, Lord. This is the day Habakkuk saw. Daniel's in captivity, and the Lord begins to speak to him about what's going to happen to his people. Now, the Lord does that because Daniel's praying and interceding and complaining about Israel. How long, Lord? What have we done? Forgive us. And the angel shows up, and we believe it to be the Lord Jesus, and say, oh, David, excuse me, oh, oh Daniel, highly favored of God. So the Lord does this because Daniel served God, was highly favored, and the Lord just decided to reveal these things to him. The prophecy that we're speaking of talks about 70 weeks, but because it was given to Daniel, in theological terms, we call it Daniel's 70 weeks, though it applies to Israel. All right, just explaining some of that to you. So let's look here, Daniel's 70 weeks. And maybe if you have any questions, we don't have time to answer them with all the material we cover Email me, text me, put it on a note, put it in the offering, and I'll see what I can do to address it in future classes, and that way we can uh, make sure everybody's somewhat clear, if not just a little less muddy on all of this. Daniel's 70 weeks is a period of time assigned to the Jewish people as revealed to Daniel the prophet in a vision and expanded upon by the angel Gabriel. It is this passage of scripture that helps set the foundation for understanding the book of Revelation. We have to talk about Daniel's 70 weeks so we can understand the setting and the timeline of the book of Revelation. That's why we're covering this. So here's the, here's the verse, a part of the prophecy, Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. This is the vision. This is Gabriel explaining it to him. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. We see there this 70 weeks. Daniel's crying out to God through prayer and fasting, what's going to happen to my people? The vision comes along and the angel says, I'll tell you what's going to happen to your people. 70 weeks are appointed unto your people and the holy city. And again, all prophecy deals with the Jews and Jerusalem. If we jump ahead to the end of time, the millennial reign of Christ, 
we still have the center of the world being Jerusalem. In fact, right now there is being prepared a heavenly Jerusalem, which will set down on top of the natural Jerusalem, and that is where Jesus Christ will rule the world for a thousand years. Still Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where Abraham sacrificed his son or attempted to. Jerusalem, the place where David bought Arabna's threshing floor to make a sacrifice to atone for inequity. It all comes back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. It's over and over and over and over again. Most Bible scholars, prophecy scholars, call Daniel's 70 weeks the hub of Bible prophecy, as in the center of the wheel. If we don't understand this, how can we diverge off in every direction to understand what God is doing here? In talking to my wife about this, because, you know, you study this and you have to take a break and let your brain relax or deflate or just process everything. I said, honey, this stuff so encourages me, but at the same time, it makes me feel so insignificant and small as a Christian. I said, it's almost like New Testament doctrine in the age we live in is like learning the streets of Cookville in Tennessee. And when you zoom out beyond the church age and you study the whole Bible and Bible prophecy, it's like learning all the roads, mountains, rivers, lakes, and streams from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. And sometimes we just get hung up on the church age. And you should master Cookville in the streets and the mountains roundabout because where you live. But God is much bigger than just the church age. And when you can see bigger than the church age, you're really not moved at all. Because you realize he took care of Abraham, he took care of Isaac, he took care of Jacob, he took care of Moses. He took care of all of them, even through calamitous times and armies possessing their land and armies taking them into slavery. He still healed their people. He still delivered their people. He still had, was good to their kids. And you realize, what do we got to worry about? We have a better covenant than they did, and we haven't rejected him like they did. But if all you ever do is focus on the little blocks where you live, you can get really narrow-minded and almost become a possum-hollered out Christian. So we zoom out to study this stuff to get a bigger picture of our God. God doesn't change. His character doesn't change, but how he deals with us can. But if you understand he's good to the Jews, he delivers them, provides for them, protects them, delivers them, provides for them, protects them, he'll do the same for us even if ISIS is in Cookville, which it is. But we can pray against it as long as we don't fall apart with fear and trembling. Amen. Understanding Daniel's 70 weeks is important to understanding Bible chronology or the order of the Bible and to properly interpret many other scriptures. For this reason, we must study it very thoroughly. So 70 weeks, let's break this down to understand what in the world's going on because you're saying 70 weeks, or let's say there's 52 weeks in a year plus eight more, that's two months. That's only 14 months, right? Well, well, well that's how many times I went through kindergarten, isn't it? Well, what do you mean 70 weeks? It's been a lot more time has passed since that. Well, 70 weeks is the Hebrew word Shabuah, or 70 periods of seven. It just means a, a period of seven. Well, 70 weeks, if it were, you know, 490 days, certainly has passed. So we understand King James translates it wrong, calling it weeks. Other translations say 70 periods of seven or 70 years, because the Hebrew is not distinct, whether it's a week, a month, or a year. It's just 70 periods of seven. Here it is 70 periods of seven years or 490 years total with 360 days in a Jewish year because it's a lunar calendar. The Jews have always run on a lunar calendar. We don't. Uh, we run on a Gregorian calendar, 365 point, what, six days a year. So we have a leap year every four years. 
And if you're born on February 29th, then you're only a quarter of your real age, which must be why some of you women are so young, or at least you claim to every time we announce your birthday. You must have been born on... I didn't know so many women were born on February 29th. <laughs> or maybe something else is going on. This, is, this time, these 490 years, is determined upon the Jews in their city, Jerusalem. That means from that point, the Lord is looking at everything concerning the Jews in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus Christ is the Lamb. That's a Jewish term. The line of the tribe of Judah. That's a Jewish thing. He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was promised to the Jews to deliver the Jewish people. His name is Messiah, which is a Jewish word. His real name is Yeshua, which is a Jewish name. It's all about the Jews. And as Romans 9, 10, 11 point out, we were just blessed to be grafted in. I mean, we, we really are just, we're getting the slop over blessing. Because God's chosen people said, we don't choose you back. And he said, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles to provoke you to jealousy. Amen. Generally speaking, all prophecy revolves around the seed of Abraham, the Israelites, the promised land, and Jerusalem, the holy city. Now again, the only reason the Israelites are special at all is because God made a promise to one man. In fact, Jesus rebuked the Jews over and over again in the Gospels and said, don't you dare say we're the seed of Abraham because I can raise up the seed of Abraham out of these rocks. <laughs> They're only Jews and Israelites because God made a promise and he doesn't break his promises like we do. So the blessings continue because he cannot break his word. But at the same time, you can't get cocky or arrogant because you were born in a lineage that you had nothing to do with. The guy who kicked the thing off was Abraham saying, I believe. And the Bible says it was accounted unto him as to righteousness. All right. All these prophecies revolve around Abraham, the Israelites, the promised land, and Jerusalem, the holy city. The, the, the heavenly Jerusalem is not called the heavenly Philadelphia. It's not called the heavenly Cookville or heavenly Washington, D.C. It's not called the heavenly, I don't know, Rio de Janeiro or the heavenly Tokyo. It's the heavenly Jerusalem where Melchizedek came from. So it all revolves around with the Jews. I, I want to keep reiterating that so you can understand the context of all of this. Number third point, God revealed he would accomplish six things in this time frame, going back to verse 24 of Daniel 9. This time period, these 490 years of Jewish time, God was going to accomplish his master plan in. He was going to stop rebellion. Well, that's not finished yet. This is specifically Israel's continuous rebellion against her God. At one of our, I think our next lesson or the following lesson, we talk about what is the purpose of the tribulation. One of the purposes of the tribulation, the Bible is very clear on it, is to chasten and scourge Israel for their continuous rejection of their God. That's why it's called Jacob's Trouble. A time when Jacob must pass under the rod of correction. It's, that's why we're not going to be here, because we've not rejected him. The Jews have. It's hell on earth for them for millennia of rejecting their God. To put a stop to rebellion, 490 years, the Lord's going to accomplish this, that, that time frame. This is specifically Israel's continuous rebellion against her God. Number two, to make an end of sins. Israel will continue to sin until after the tribulation. Point number three, to atone for sins. Jesus died for the Jews first, but they have yet to receive their Messiah and his salvation. Once a Jew gets born again, they're not a Jew anymore. 
Now, I know we have the Messianic Jewish movement, and there's all sorts of great types and shadows, but you don't have to know anything about a Jew or Jewish culture to be born again. There's wonderful things in their understanding about the, the feasts and tabernacles and, and, and the Feast of Pentecost, and all that's great. It helps us to understand the New Testament, but you don't have to explain Judaism to some pygmy in Borneo to get them born again. You don't see that any in the book of Acts. In fact, my favorite sermon in the book of Acts is Paul at Mars Hill. So 17, or excuse me, 27,000 people listening. And he says, you guys are too superstitious and you worship gods you don't even know about. And I saw a statue called the, to the unknown God. That's who I came to tell you about. And he winked at your sin in times past, but now he commands you to repent. And he's given his son Jesus Christ as evidence. And some folks got born again out of that service. Most of them didn't. And he didn't have to talk anything about the law or Moses because they had no context for it. You'd have been wasting time. So again, I want to, in talking about all this Jewish stuff, I want to make sure we don't get into this kind of ditch that some Christians get into about always focus on Judaism. The New Testament is built upon the Old Testament. It's an extension of the Old Testament, but we are not Jews. And once a Jew gets born again, they're born again. Antioch Church is full of Jews, but they were called Christians. Paul never called himself a Jew. He said, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a born again. I'm a servant of God. All things are passed away. All things are become new. We don't boast in the flesh. Circumcisions of the heart, not of the flesh. All right. To bring in everlasting righteousness. This refers to the millennial reign of Christ and his righteousness and his everlasting kingdom. We don't have, right now the world is not experiencing everlasting righteousness. Some of us have it because we're born again. Others don't. They're called lost. They're on their way to hell. But 490 years will, will complete this, and at the end of that, we will bring in everlasting righteousness. We know that speaks of his kingdom because it's an everlasting kingdom, and of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Fifth thing is to seal up the vision and the prophet. What does that refer to? After this season of time, 490 years, there'll be no more need for visions or prophets to keep God's people online. For as the Bible says, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Right now we have visions, we have prophecy to keep sinful flesh and rebellious believers in line. When Jesus Christ rules in the millennial kingdom, the Bible uses the term, he'll rule with the rod of iron. It says that over and over again. That means there won't be any room for sin. The second somebody wants to sin, that spiritual rod of iron will keep them in line. There'll be no death, there'll be no rebellion, there'll be no sin for that thousand years. But at the end of that thousand years... All that's been pent up in people's hearts, they'll have a chance. And folks who will have enjoyed the reign of Jesus Christ as an earthly king for a thousand years will be able to rebel against him if they want, which is called the Battle of Gog and Magog, part two. And John sees so little of it. He says, and Satan was unleashed in uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog, and the Lord destroyed them, and they all went to hell. It gets like two verses. And yet folks will enjoy Jesus Christ for a thousand years and still choose to rebel against him unbelievable now we shake our head but christians today understand the goodness of god and they still choose to walk away from god walk away from church walk away from christian fellowship to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season so maybe it's not so far-fetched amen verse six reconsecrate the holy of holies that refers to the holy of holies in the temple the most holy place, the holy of holies in the temple, will be cleansed and ready for use by the Lord in his millennial kingdom. That will be accomplished at the end of 490 years, having been defiled by the Antichrist with the abomination that makes desolate. So it'll have to be reconsecrated for the Lord to come in and do the things he will do in the millennial kingdom. 
So Daniel saw all of this so many thousands of years ago, 2,500 years ago. And the angel said, 490 years are appointed unto your people. Note, these things were shown to Daniel as he sought God about the end of Israel's captivity and punishment. God not only said their punishment was over, as in the captivity was coming to a close and they would get to go home if they wanted to, but that he had a bright and glorious future for them. Daniel's interceding, saying, Lord, how long must we be slaves? And just in praying over that, the Lord shows him the millennial reign coming. He shows him something even greater than coming out of a natural captivity. That ought to encourage us to seek God because we really don't know what he'll show us if we do seek God. One thing is for sure, if you'll pray and seek God on a regular basis, you'll see more stuff than those that don't pray and seek God. And you just never know when the Lord will walk into your room or into your prayer chamber or into your Bible study and reveal to you wonderful things that you know not of. Jesus Christ was coming. That's what he revealed to him. Now, the other thing I want to take time just to mention here briefly. When Jeremiah prophesied that captivity was coming, the Lord commanded the Israelites, or those that were left, Judah and Benjamin, the only two tribes that were left. The other ten kingdoms have been dissolved by Assyria and totally wiped out 110 years prior. He said, when you go into captivity, buy land, cultivate it, and enjoy the fruit of it. Build houses, live in them, and enjoy them, because you're going to be there a while. And he was trying to comfort them and saying, I'm judging you, but I will not forsake you. If you'll get your heart right, I'll prosper you even in a land of judgment. And I'm sure that was hard on them at first, to be able to leave their promised land that they, their fathers had fought for and that they had enjoyed. But the Lord gave them a commandment. When you go here, buy property. Basically, bloom where you're planted. And don't do it for somebody else. You enjoy the fruit of it. And build yourself houses and enjoy them. And take a wife and have kids and enjoy it, because you're going to be here a while. But what is so interesting is at the end of that 70 years of captivity, the folks had learned to do it so much, most of them didn't want to go back to Israel. They had made a new life for themselves. In fact, we know that there were probably a million Jews in captivity thereabout. We have record of less than 50,000 leaving to go back to Israel. A bulk of them obeyed God so much, they just stayed in, in Persia. They stayed in Babylon, which is why other prophets had to say, I'll regather you in the appropriate time. I want to point that out to you to encourage you that wherever you're at, you can bloom where you're planted and it not, you don't even realize you ever missed where you came from. So much of the time, we, when we serve God, we're not willing to trust something new because our memories of the past are so faulted and not accurate. Have you ever remembered something from your childhood or from maybe 20 years prior and you go back to where it was and you're like, well, this isn't exactly how I replayed it in my mind. The house is much smaller than I remember or the house is much bigger than I remember or I don't remember that tree being there. Your memories are not accurate. And that's just natural visual stuff. How much more experiences? How much more relationship experiences? How much more job experiences? It's because when you get away from something, you start adding things to your memories to feel good. And the Bible doesn't permit that. The Bible says faith. Now faith is. Wherever God has you, be there in faith and enjoy it and bloom where you're planted. I just want to point that out because the Israelites had to trust God just like we do. We're entering into crazy days and uh, we can't bother to think, I wish I missed the 80s. Do you really? Parachute pants, Michael Jackson jackets and boom boxes and tapes you had to rewind? Anybody ever try to find a good song on the tape? Nope. 
Now, now I'm too far forward. Now I'm too far back. No, now on the iPod, you just click. And you got charged at the rental place if you didn't rewind your VCR tapes. And they had stickers that said, be kind, please rewind. And when DVDs first came out, wasting time here, but we always rented, you know, growing up in the 80s, we rented the VCRs and dad would always say, make sure you rewind that before you take it back. I don't want to have to pay. And so that became a pattern in our house, rewind that thing. So we'd have to jump up and run over to the VCR and rewind. Then the DVDs came out and the joke was, don't forget to rewind that. Because you don't have to rewind a DVD. So that some folks are so young, they're like, what is VCR? Yeah, memories are jaded. And they're never accurate, so you just enjoy life where it's at. Moving on. The timeline of the 490 years. The next three verses of Daniel 9, they give us a very specific breakdown of what would transpire over those 490 years. The Lord is always so good to explain things in as much depth as we need them. Daniel 9.25, know therefore, this is the next verse from what we just previously read. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem... So that's the kickoff date. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks or 49 years and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, anybody remember who built the wall? Nehemiah, even in troublous times. How did Nehemiah build the wall? In troublous times. That lets us know when the commandment is that we're looking for. In this verse, we are given three sets of time. All three sets are subdivisions of these 70 weeks. The first is seven weeks, or as previously stated, seven sets of seven, or 49 years. The second period of time is 62 weeks, or 434 years. The final set of time being the final missing week, or 70 years. Excuse me, or seven years. All right, so let's break that down. That's a lot of math gobbledygook. Basically, 490 years, and this verse tells us, look for 49 years, then look for 334 years, and then when you add that up, you're still missing seven years. So the first period of time that, this, that verse 25 teaches us, from the time the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem was given until its completion was 49 years. So this commandment concerns the restoration of the city and its wall. This commandment came to Nehemiah in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, 445 B.C. So Artaxerxes is the one who gives the commandment that kicks off 490 years. This is just God telling you how the future is going to come to pass, which is really cool. That's the first period of time. Daniel didn't live to see this. Now it is believed that Daniel did escape captivity and was able to go back into Jerusalem as an old, old man. But he didn't get to see this because this was, uh, 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 Zerubbabel was the first to come out and Nehemiah was about 110 years after Zerubbabel. It was a long time of revival of repopulating Israel and rebuilding the city, the temple, and the wall. So this is the last round of rebuilding. From the time of the completion of the city and the wall to the next checkpoint, which is Messiah the Prince, he said is 434 years. So the second period of time, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Now, isn't that so cool? The vision says specifically when Jesus will be crucified. Specifically, from captivity, way before he's ever come, he tells you specifically when you can expect him to be uh, cut off. So this period of time is ended when the Messiah is cut off in death. The Hebrew word or the ex-Chaldean word is cut off in death, not just cut off like a string, but cut off by being killed. 
If we add 69 weeks or 476 solar years to the date of Artaxerxes' edict to rebuild Jerusalem, we find that Daniel's 69th week ends precisely on Palm Sunday, 32 AD. Now, I happen to have all the timelines that this man in Monte Carlo in Spain, Europe, not Spain, but Monte Carlo, um, uh, Monaco, excuse me, Monaco, he's worked on this for 25-something years even pulling NASA's lunar records to calculate all of this down to the day. I ought to bring it in and throw it up on the overheads because the spreadsheets he has, just looking at it, makes your head spin. And you, you don't even want to bother to look at it because you think it would take a year just to understand what I'm looking at. But it shows you all the detail of chronology that's been done by people God has anointed to prove how accurate the Bible is. From the time Artaxerxes gave his edict, to the time of the end of the 69th week or the 69th section of seven is when Jesus Christ marched into Jerusalem to be crucified. You don't get any more accurate than that. And folks will say, well, all that Bible's made up. How do you make this stuff up? Who would even think to go this made up? I mean, Tolkien made some pretty cool books about rings and stuff, but that was all gobbledygook. And it never, it never accomplished anything except just entertainment. This isn't made up stuff. This stuff is accurate. So look at your next point here. From the time of the completion of Jerusalem, 396 B.C., until the crucifixion of the Messiah was prophesied to be 434 years, and it came to pass. Ironically, the same week Jesus rode into Jerusalem as their prince, which is what Daniel calls him, Messiah the prince, and king, they killed him. Same week. It all completed and fulfilled Daniel's 69 weeks exactly like the angel said it would happen. That's accurate. That is precise. Daniel 26 in the NIV says, After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city. That's talking about Rome destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD. Notice that that was prophesied 500 years prior. The end will, uh, excuse me, the people who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. It seems like we're in a lot of war, but honestly, the world has been having war since it started. I actually heard a recent radio program talk about, it seems like crazy war, but we're actually, per capita or percentage-wise, we have less death in the world now than we've ever had. It just feels worse because we have so much media giving it to us constantly. Nobody talks about the 20 million Russians that died in World War II. 20 million. Six to 10 million Jews in, in low lives, according to the, the, the Nazis. You're talking World War II killed 50, 60 million people 70 years ago? Have we experienced a massacre of 60 million people? It only feels like it's worse. Now, that's not to mean that any life loss is not precious, but we have been having war for a long time. Amen. But that's what the Bible said would happen. Wars will continue until the end. Can't stop it. You can go hug a tree and be a vegan if you want. It's not going to stop it. And desolations have been decreed. That means things are going to be made desolate until Jesus Christ comes back. This verse reaffirms the proper timeline. Jesus will be cut off or crucified 434 years after Jerusalem was restored. And that's exactly how it happened. 
The second part of this verse predicts the coming Antichrist called the ruler who will come. This verse is also a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. The Romans were Gentiles, heathen people of, quote, the prince that shall come, also foretold by Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. The Antichrist is covered more in our eschatology curriculum lessons 9, 11, and 12. So there's a lot there and there's a lot to study. Uh, because the Romans are the people of the prince that shall come, that's who destroyed Jerusalem, were the Romans. That is why it is believed by most prophecy experts that the revised Roman kingdom will be what produces the Antichrist. We'll cover that more in the weeks ahead. That doesn't mean Rome is in the, the papal state of Vatican City and the Pope. One man points out the Catholic Church is way too Christian to be the whore of Babylon. There's some paganism in Catholicism, just like there is in Charismatica. You wouldn't believe how much a Charismatica has familiar spirits in it. And how much of that produces worship music. <laughs> so let, before we start looking down our nose at Catholics, we probably operate in way more familiar spirits than they do. Now, we need the Holy Spirit, but if you're not careful, you can get out there in the la-la land. So we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about the Roman Empire. And we'll get into more of the empires and the beasts with seven heads in future lessons. And I trust it will all become clear. So this third period of time, because we're doing pretty good moving along here. We're doing really good, actually. Daniel 9.25 speaks of two sets of time, uh, two, uh, two sets of time, seven weeks and 62 weeks. We add this together, we get only 69 weeks. But he said 70 weeks are appointed unto thee. This missing week is what is called Daniel's 70th week. And this is what we're looking for in the tribulation. Daniel's 70th week is what we're looking for. It has not been fulfilled yet. And again, this is why we, we have to understand Jewish history, Jewish chronology, the Old Testament, because the tribulation, which is what we're looking forward to, deals with the Jews. It's Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah calls it. We'll look at that in future lessons. It is Jacob's trouble. That's why we don't have to worry about being here because your name's not Jacob. Neither is my name. We're not of Jacob. We're of Abraham. We're of Jesus Christ. That, that's one of the evidences that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture is going to happen before the tribulation because we're not appointed to wrath, but Jacob is. Why? And we'll see other verses. Because it's Jacob's trouble. They've rejected their Messiah. One of the things the tribulation sees is, is the salvation of a bulk of the, of the Israelites. They finally received their Messiah. The first people to be born again in the tribulation are the 144,000 witnesses. The Bible calls them the first fruits of Jesus Christ. Well, that's not the first fruits of salvation. All those back in John 20 were. When he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. We're first fruits. We're the church age. So that must mean the first fruits of the tribulation. The first folks to get saved are Jews, 144,000 12 of each of the 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes and they become the witnesses that bring in such a great revival. It all deals with Israel. And that's what I want you to catch and keep in your heart. The tribulation and all the hell that we're marching towards deals with Israel. This is why I don't want to be a messianic Jew. I don't want to have one foot in one boat and one foot in the other and hope I can do the splits. <laughs> no, no, I'm a Christian. A mighty mighty Christian. And I'm answering that trumpet because I answer the trumpet every day. 
So I hope this is encouraging you the more you see it. Now, again, we'll deal with symptoms that we're all feeling. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, love of many waxing cold, offense. Yeah, those are, all, those are all tribulation symptoms, and they're here. But, of course, they've been here since the first century. Remember, the first century prophets and apostles said, spirit of Antichrist is here now. The mystery of lawlessness does already work. They were convinced they were seeing it in their day. 2,000 years later, it's only picked up momentum. So just to encourage you, all the squawking and all the pressure we feel, people have been complaining about that for 2,000 years. And every generation since Peter, James, and John thought they'd see the return of the Lord because it was that bad. In all my research that I've done for these, these teachings, most of the books are about 100 years old that I'm studying. They were squawking just like we are today. We don't know how it's going to come to pass, but it has to come soon because it's getting bad out there. That was 100 years ago. Politicians are dirty. Yeah. Fornication, drunkenness, and revelry. Yeah. Jerusalem, Israel has to become a country again. We're not sure how that's going to happen, but it's got to happen soon because it's getting bad out there, and Jesus has to come quickly. That's 100 years ago. The one book I'm reading is 1918. The other one's 1929. I think, well, you sure it's not 2018 2029, this is the spirit of Antichrist. It's always been working. We just get to endure a little bit tougher season of it. It'll be okay. Daniel 9, 27 in the NIV. He, the prince that is to come, that is the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, groups of seven, our missing week. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is our missing seven weeks, our seven days, our missing week. This is the missing seven years. Daniel gets a piece of the puzzle. Second Thessalonians and Paul has a piece of the puzzle. John the Revelator adds the rest of the puzzle. He makes a covenant with Israel, actually with many. And for that reason, we believe there's going to be some kind of massive war in the Middle East, like's been happening my entire life. Honestly, it's just like, what war is going to happen this quarter? What battle is going to happen with Israel this quarter? What's Iran going to do stupid this quarter? What's Saudi Arabia going to do dumb this year? What's Jordan going to do ridiculous next week? Wars and rumors of wars, but something's going to happen that's so bad that this group of politicians is going to need to make a peace treaty. And that is the peace treaty made specifically with Israel that sets off our seven years of Jacob's time, the last seven years of time. But we can't be here for that. We're gone because that's the tribulation. That's the time we're not appointed to. So let me throw this out there. Most prophecy experts believe or see that there's nothing that says the church can't be raptured in 10, 15, 20 years take place before the peace treaty happens. We have often believed the rapture happens, tribulation happens tomorrow. But the peace treaty is what kicks off the tribulation. It's the only thing biblically given that tells us a set seven years. And in the middle of those seven years is when the Antichrist, who by that time has put himself as the highest of the politicians, breaks that peace treaty by defiling the temple, the Israel's temple, the Jewish temple, and calling himself God. Now, will it be 50 years between the rapture and the peace treaty? I don't think so. It might be a few weeks. It might be a few months, or maybe it's the last day of this massive war, 
We're gone, and, it, and our Second Thessalonian calls us the restraint. He that restraineth shall restrain until he's taken out of the way. Maybe we're the restraint that allows the peace treaty to come into place. Maybe it's our pressure here restraining, making everything fight so violently. We don't know. But there's nothing that says that the, the peace treaty is signed the day after we're gone or the day we're gone. There's nothing that says the rapture is what kicks off the seven years. What this very clearly says is he will sign a peace treaty for seven years. And in the middle of that seven years, he'll break it with what we call the abomination desolation. That is when the politician, who is the Antichrist, he possesses a man. He walks into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, which he's allowed to happen. for. He's allowed that Jewish worship to go on for three and a half years. But after three and a half years, he says, that's it. And before the whole world, he declares himself God. And then his false prophet says, if you don't worship him, you die. So at some point, they've jockeyed for position to have that kind of political power. Again, where does the Antichrist uh, uh, desolate? Jerusalem. Who does he start persecuting in great force? The Jews. It's all about Jerusalem. It's all about Israel. We're not going to be here. Jesus Christ called this last week, this last seven, the tribulation. It has not yet occurred. We've not seen any of this yet. So uh, there's so many folks that argue there's no tribulation or we're, we're in the millennial kingdom. We have a lot of great leaders in the kingdom who think we're in the millennial kingdom. All right, you're, you're ignoring a lot of verses that accurately describe the millennial kingdom because this isn't any of it. <laughs> it has not yet occurred. When the church was born, what is referred to by some as Jewish time stopped. The best analogy I always see of, of a, a time clock is kicking off 490 years. When Jesus Christ was crucified, when the church was born, the time clock stopped. And now church time kicked in. And the Bible calls the church a mystery. It was hidden. And it's a mystery how long it will last for. So far, the church age has been the longest time period in the Bible. But that speaks of the Lord's mercy and grace. Just like Methuselah lived longer than anybody else, but Methuselah's name means after this one dies, the judgment comes. And when Methuselah died, the flood came and wiped out everybody except for Noah. The church age is the longest lasting dispensation. Even the age of law was 800, 900 years less than the church age so far. Moses' time period of the law, about 1,200, 1,300 years. That's it. We're already at past 2,000. Amen. So, but now there's all the Bible patterns of Jesus was resurrected early on the third day. We're into the third day, millennially speaking, so the church will be resurrected early on the third day. After, uh, after two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up. Or we're already in the third day. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead before the sun came up on the third day. It's pretty dark out there. So you see all these patterns and these types. The cool thing is you don't have to worry about it. Just serve God. He'll protect you. Amen. So the church was inserted, but there's still seven years remaining on the clock. And when the church is gone, the Lord hits the button and tick, 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 tick. In essence, Daniel's 70 weeks can be referred to as, as Jewish time. Currently, the church is how God moves in the earth. We are what God is doing. That's why we fight to keep the church strict, disciplined, merciful, gracious, and fruitful. All these churches that are out there with purple lights, smoke machines, and reduced standards, they're not God moving in the earth. They're God's people looking like the world trying to play church in the earth. They're doing God a disservice, and they're not a helping prophecy, except they're rushing it to pass. 
Before the church aid, God, God moved through the nation of Israel. Israel has been put on hold and the church age has been activated. We've been called up. At the rapture, the church will be taken out of the earth and the Lord will reactivate Jewish time and Daniel's last week of time will play out. The last seven years on the 490-year clock. That's what we're waiting for. We're a unique specimen of God's people. Uh, one of our future lessons, we talk about the four categories of saints. And when you understand what category of saint you are, you're not worried about being something you're not. We're not Old Testament saints. We're not tribulation saints. We're not the fourth type of saint. We're church age saints. It's not appointed under the church age saints for wrath. That is the wrath of God. The tribulation is a time of God's wrath. But the Bible says clearly in 2 Thessalonians, we are not appointed unto God's wrath. Why would he run the church, his body? Why would the Lord put his body through his own wrath? That's like punching yourself in the face. That doesn't make even common sense. The events of this last week of time, this last seven years, the tribulation, are what are so clearly described and foretold in Revelation 6 through 19. Daniel didn't see all the events of Revelation 6 through 19. He didn't see all the events of these seven years. He didn't, all he saw was a peace treaty, a treaty being broken, and the abomination desolation. That's all he saw because he was too far back in time prophetically to see the details of that. John was a lot closer, and John got to see all the details of the seven seals and the seven vials and the seven bowls of wrath. He got to see all that, the seven thunders, all these seven sets of seven. And he recorded them so we could understand. And when you recognize it, you realize that's not for us. We recognize where we're supposed to be in time, and our job is to preach the gospel, establish the church, and do what God's called us in this day and hour to do. I like what Dr. Barclay says. Some folks are, are mid-tribulation rapturous or post-tribulation. I mean, why would there be a post-tribulation rapture? The millennial kingdom's here. Where we go up just to come back down? That doesn't make... That's, that's confusion. But he said, you know, folks want to say, well, I want to live through the tribulation. I got, it'll be awesome. And he'll say, you're kidding yourself. You can't even get to church right now on a regular basis. You think you're going to make it in the tribulation? You can't even tithe right now without an antichrist. You can't even witness right now without an antichrist. You can't even forgive right now. You think you're going to be able to hang during the tribulation? You better change your doctrine so you can go in the first round. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Never has God so precisely detailed coming events like what will happen during the tribulation. This, in essence, is more of God's mercy and grace because the world will ba basically be able to read the Bible and watch it happen on the news tomorrow. There'll be no denying the Bible is true. And they'll be able to read the Bible and see it happen next week on the news or see it happen in their backyard. And 100-pound hailstones. Uh, what just crashed through our house? 100-pound hailstone. Maybe this Bible is true. It never has a time period been so accurately detailed. The problem is by that time in man's history, man's heart will be so hardened and calloused, the Bible says they will still mock the God of heaven and curse him. Now, there'll be a great revival, sure. But what's left over will be so hardened, no matter what God does, they won't repent. And he'll just pour out his wrath. The Bible's, one of the things we'll cover, I found so profound, the, the martyred saints whose voices cry out from under the altar when the fifth seal is open. They said, God, how much longer do we have to wait until you avenge us? They're getting kind of bossy. And the Lord doesn't rebuke them. He says, hold your peace. 
rest a little while till everybody that's supposed to die like you are dies. And then I will avenge you. A lot of the tribulation is God avenging the death of his saints. It's payback time. That's the same Jesus on the cross. We forget that there's a goodness of God and there's a severity of God. I want to be a partaker of the goodness of God. I don't want to be pimping it and exploiting it. Because at some point, the mercy of God does run out. The grace of God does. The patience of God does run out. It's called the tribulation. And he pours out three sets of seven. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Jesus Christ called it tribulation so great the world has never seen it, nor will ever see it again. Amen. Daniel didn't see all the details from where he lived in time. This honor was afforded to John the Revelator. So that concludes our lesson number two. If you had any difficulties understanding this, go back, read it, process the numbers. I had to study this over and over again and work the numbers out and wrap my mind around it. Maybe your visual, maybe draw a diagram. Maybe I could maybe add a diagram to this, but this is so critical to understanding how all this unfolds. And again, the, the study of Revelation should be a positive study. It's an encouraging study, especially when you realize we don't have to be here for this. And just because we feel the Antichrist ramping it up right now, we can pray, get some different leaders in place around the world, and have another season of like the 70s and 80s, which was weird and dark and perverted just like today is. We just remember it differently. Be kind. Please rewind. Father, we thank you for these lessons. I pray, Lord, they encourage us. I pray that you quicken our mind and our understanding and we're able to say, I got it. I've heard, I've heard this teaching before, but I finally see it. Father, your word says there's a blessing to studying this, to reading this, and to keeping the words of the prophecy of the revelation. May it encourage us and give us uh, just a backbone to fight in these days, to preach the word and to live clean for you. We thank you, Lord, for not appointing us to wrath, but unto obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.